Hey, hey, welcome to uh, week 21 in our verse-by-verse study of the Gospel of Matthew. And where we currently are in this journey is unpacking Matthew chapter 5 through 7, Jesus' radical manifesto about life in his kingdom. It's the longest recorded sermon of Jesus' entire Bible. It's also known as the Sermon on the Mount. And understand what Jesus is basically saying in his manifesto is, this is what life in my kingdom is all about. He's saying, here is the life that you can now live because of my death, burial, and resurrection, and because the Holy Spirit now indwells those who are in my kingdom. What we've seen so far as we unpack this manifesto is that life in this kingdom is about becoming a certain kind of people. It's about being poor in spirit. It's about being meek, keeping our power and strength under control for the glory of God and the benefit of others. It's about being one who mourns. It's about being pure in heart. It's about being a peacemaker. It's about hungering and thirsting after righteousness. And it's about showing mercy even to those who do not deserve it. Yes, life in his kingdom is about being and it's about influencing, impacting the world around us for the good by being the salt of the earth and the light of the world. Brothers and sisters, 2,000 years ago, on the Galilean hillside, God in the flesh said that life in his kingdom is about being, influencing, and it's about living out a life that is radical and distinct, that's upside down, if you will, from the world around us. Now, understand, 2,000 years ago, the Alpha and Omega, the bright morning star, the Prince of Peace, the King of Kings, the Maker of Heaven and Earth, the Author and Perfecter of our faith, said that life in His kingdom is about living a life that surpasses the righteousness of the Pharisees and teachers of the law. Matthew 5.20 reads this way, For I tell you that unless, someone say unless, your righteousness surpasses that of the Pharisees and teachers of the law, you will certainly not enter the kingdom of heaven. And then beginning in the very next verse, Jesus lays out six examples of what it looks like to have a righteousness that surpasses that of the scribes and Pharisees, that surpasses the righteousness of the religious elite, who are only concerned about controlling outward behavior, who cared very little, if at all, about what's going on inside of a person. Men who had twisted and distorted what God actually said in the law, making up their own rules and regulations. So Jesus says, you have heard that it was said, do not murder, but I I say to you, do not harbor or allow anger to grow in your heart towards another person, Matthew 5, 21 through 26. You have heard that it was said, do not commit adultery, but I say to you, do not lust in your heart after another person, Matthew 5, 27 through 30. You have heard that it was said that you can divorce your spouse for any reason whatsoever. But I say to you, honor and fight for what God has joined together. Matthew 5, 31 to 32. Now understand, in Jesus' kingdom, anger and lust will find no home and marriage is honored by all. Talk about radical. Talk about upside down from the world in which we live. And this is what life in his kingdom is all about. Amen. There's two of you. Three, four, five, six, seven. This morning we're going to unpack Matthew 5, 
33 through 37. <laughs> Interestingly, as I began my studies this week, I thought, you know what, we're going to wrap up chapter 5, 16 verses, and my first sermon title was, Be Truthful, Don't Retaliate, Love Your Enemies. Then as I studied, I said, you know what, that's a little too ambitious. It's, my title's going to be, Be Truthful and Don't Retaliate. Further on in my studies, I said, you know what, I can't even do that. And so now the title is, Be a, a Truthful Person. I found out I can only adequately unpack five verses rather than 16 verses. And as we unpack it, we're going to see another contrast between the righteousness of the Pharisees and teachers of the law and the surpassing righteousness of those who live in his kingdom. Question, do you believe that if God's people were truthful, do you believe that if those who claim to follow after Jesus poured out honesty and truth wherever they are, whoever they're with, that the world we live in would become a better place? Brothers and sisters, you believe that truth and honesty matter. Here's our text for this morning. Matthew 5, beginning at verse 33. Again, you've heard that it was said to the people long ago, do not break your oath, but fulfill to the Lord the vows you have made. But I tell you, do not swear an oath at all, either by heaven, for it is God's throne, or by earth, for it is his footstool, or by Jerusalem, for it's the city of the great king. And do not swear by your head, for you cannot make even one hair white or black. All you need to say is simply yes or no. Anything beyond this comes from the evil one. May God bless the reading of his word. Now, before we dive into our text, I want to do three things. I want to read a passage from our faith comes from hearing that we read this week. I want to pray, and then we're going to take two to welcome and greet those around us. Okay, so the passage is from 1 Peter chapter 1. And you know, 1 Peter was written to Jesus followers who, because of the extreme and brutal persecution that was unleashed by Nero, were forced to leave their homes and were scattered throughout the Roman Empire. They were refugees. In other words, the first people to read these words were beaten down, hurting, worn out, weary, discouraged Jesus followers. Ever been there? Here's the way he starts this letter. Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ, to God's elect, exiles scattered throughout the provinces of Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, and Bithynia, who have been chosen according to the foreknowledge of God the Father through the sanctifying work of the Spirit, to be obedient to Jesus Christ and sprinkled with his blood, grace and peace be yours in abundance. And here, I, I thought I'd throw up a map, you know, like, like these believers, they lived in their homes, but now they're spread out through Bithynia, Pontus, Galatia, Asia, Cappadocia, all throughout the Roman Empire. You know, they, they left their homes. And, and so here, here's what Peter says first after his introduction to these believers who had already lost all hope. Here's what he writes. Praise be to God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. In his great mercy, he's giving us new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead and into an inheritance that can never perish, spoil, or fade. This inheritance is kept in heaven for you who through faith are shielded by God's power until the coming of the salvation that is ready to be revealed in the last time. And all this you greatly rejoice, though now for a little while you may have to suffer grief and all kinds of trials. 
These trials have come so that your so that the proven genuineness of your faith of greater worth than gold, which perishes even though refined by fire, may result in praise, glory, and honor when Jesus Christ is revealed. Though you've not seen him, you love him. Even though you do not see him now, you believe in him and are filled with an inexpressible and glorious joy. For you are receiving the end result of your faith, the salvation of your souls. Heavenly Father, we humbly come into your presence we thank you that you are the way maker, the promise keeper. God, we thank you that no matter what we're feeling, we still have a reason to praise. And God, I just pray this morning, God, that you would enable us to tune into your word, to, to push away all, all distractions. Holy Spirit, help us to hear exactly what you want us to hear. Help us to hear from you personally this morning. Help me to speak the words you want me to speak, Father, in the way that you want me to speak them. God, I pray we leave this place knowing that we've been in the presence of your word. In Jesus' name, amen. A question. Do you, think, do you think that there's a problem with dishonesty and an aversion to truth in our culture today? Anybody? Yeah, yeah, lying seems to be America's favorite pastime. And it's getting harder and harder to find truth anywhere. In 1991, James Patterson wrote a book called The Day America Told the Truth. And here's the opening sentence of that book. America lies. They lied more than we even imagined when we began this study. But they told us the truth about how much they lie. The book goes on and it says, just about everyone lies. 91% of us lie regularly. The majority of us find it hard to go through a week without lying. And Gina Scott, in her book she wrote in 2010, her book is called The Truth About Lying. Um, here's what she writes in her introduction. In recent years, we've been facing a crisis of conscience over the ethical state of our nation. We've been going through a national soul-searching and judging assessing ourselves in light of traditional core values of honesty and ethics and reviewing and purging many fundamental institutions and in revulsion to a decade of greed and excess. Why? Because we've seen more and more indications that acts of lying, deception, and other unethical deeds for short-term gain and personal advantage may have deeper, more serious consequences in undermining the bonds of trust that create relationships and community and give strength to our nation as a whole. And I think Gina was spot on. Lying undermines the bonds of trust that create relationships and community and give strength to the nation as a whole. You see, without trust, you really can't build a relationship. Without trust, you cannot really build a community. Amen? According to a 2002 University of Massachusetts study, 60% of adults cannot have a 10-minute conversation without lying at least once. They found the average was three lies. And why do we lie? Well, we lie to protect ourselves. We lie to avoid punishment. We lie to gain an advantage. Uh, we lie to hide our faults and shortcomings. We lie to get people on our side so they hate who we hate. We lie to escape blame. We lie to get out of something that we don't really want to do. 
We lie to make ourselves look better. We lie to protect others' feelings. The D.S. Voltaire said, I am very fond of the truth, but I am not fond of martyrdom. What he's saying is, I would really like to live in a world where everybody tells the truth, but I come to realize that if I live in such a world and I tell the truth all the time, one day somebody is going to kill me. Okay, I'd like to ask a few questions that require an honest answer. The first question is, how many of you have told a lie in the last five years? And I'm not talking about when your wife asks you if her jeans make her butt look big. I'm talking about an honest-to-goodness lie, right? How many have told a lie in the last year? How many have told a lie in the last month? The last week? Today? How many of you are pleading the Fifth Amendment, right? All right? The second question is a little easier. How many of you would say that you're an honest person, Right? We would, we would right? Uh, you know, you don't want to raise it, but most of us say, yeah, I'm an honest person, right? Even though we know that we're liars. <laughs> right? And how can that be, right? Well, psychologists have an answer. They say the reason we can hold two conflicting ideas in our brain about who we are is because we have the power to rationalize things. Like, we don't really see some actions, even though they might be wrong, we don't technically see them as lies, so it doesn't affect our self-worth or idea of honesty. Come on, man, I wasn't lying. I was just exaggerating. I was embellishing. I was just fudging the truth a little. I was just leaving some stuff out. But listen, the problem with this kind of attitude is that it creates a culture like the one that we currently live in that is swimming in the toxic and polluted river of dishonesty and lying. I think we all know that the more lies there are, In a society, the more difficult it is to navigate through the river of those lies and determine what truth really is. Not about you, but as we were going through our two-year COVID nightmare, I just wanted our leaders and our media to tell us the truth, the whole truth and nothing but the truth. That, That didn't happen. And listen, as 2022 progresses towards November and the midterm elections, we will be bombarded with lies and the deliberate distortion of truth at every turn. Lies from the lips of politicians, lies in political ads, lie on cable news networks, and lies flooding everyone's news feed on social media. Lies that even Jesus' followers are often quick to share. I'm not sure it's true, but I don't really like him, her, or them, so I think I'll go ahead and share that out on the web. And so we propagate lies because, you know what, I like what it says, and I don't like that person. Let me hit share and spread those lies. I don't think we should do that. See, tragically, the challenge we face as Americans is in our culture is not who's telling the truth, but who's telling the least amount of lies. In 1996, George Sinopoulos was in Larry King, and he said <laughs> this quote, the president has kept all the promises he intended on keeping. And it's not just the president who lives that way, right? You and I keep all the promises that we intended on keeping. But listen, as prevalent as lying and deceit seem to be in our day, the truth is they've been around since the very beginning of creation. You know, way back in the garden, when Satan, the father of lies, began bombarding mankind with his lies and deceit, did God really say? 
And unfortunately, both Adam and Eve took a bite out of those lies, and we all know the rest of the story. We now live not in a garden paradise, but in a fallen, corrupt, broken world, teeming with lies, dishonesty, and deceit. In John chapter 8, the religious leaders are refusing to see the truth that Jesus really is a Messiah that the scriptures spoke about. And Jesus says to them in John 8, 44, you belong to your father, the devil, and you want to carry out your father's desires. He was a murderer from the beginning, not holding to the truth, for there's no truth in him. When he lies, he speaks his native language, for he is a liar and the father of lies. According to Jesus, when we lie and are untruthful, we are carrying out the devil's desires. We are speaking his native language. And we, I don't even want to say it, we're acting like we belong, not to God, but to the devil. Understand, Jesus in his radical upside-down manifesto wants to make it perfectly clear that those who live in his kingdom are to be truthful people. Are to be people who are known for their honesty and their truthfulness. Get it? Good. So Jesus says in our text again, again, you've heard that it was said to the people long ago, do not break your oath, but fulfill to the Lord the vows you have made. Now, now that word, that word there, oath, break your oath, is actually one word, and it means to, it literally means to swear falsely. And, and the word there for vow, there are actually two different words. Some and he has the same word, but there are two different Greek words. And this word vow, it, it, it means to, it means a fence or an enclosure that restrains a person. And the idea is that you have enclosed what you're saying. It's been fenced around the truth, right? And, and what is an oath? Here's the definition of an oath. An oath is a solemn appeal to a deity or some revered person or thing to witness one's determination to speak the truth, to keep a promise. Right? We appeal to someone higher than us and say, now you know I'm speaking the truth. Some of you, maybe you have been in a courtroom or watched on TV, right, where the bailiff has someone put their hand in the Bible, right? Repeat after me, right? I solemnly swear to do what? To tell the truth, the whole truth, and nothing but the truth, so help me God, right? And maybe as a child, you made some oaths of your own. Maybe you were one, one of those kind of people like, I pinky swear, Right? Or you say, hey, I'm telling the truth. Cross my heart, hope to die. Stick a needle in my eye, right? And why do we say those things? Why do we pinky swear so that people could be more certain that what we're saying is true? That one of the primary purposes of oaths in the Bible was to seal an agreement. We see this in Genesis chapter 22. When God swears an oath to Abraham after Abraham had obeyed God in taking his son Isaac to the top of Mount Moriah to be sacrificed, and obviously God did not let him do that. And we read in Genesis 22, beginning at verse 16, God says, I swear by myself. <laughs> Hebrews 6.13 says this, when God made a promise to Abraham, since he had no one greater to swear to, he swore by himself, right? So I, I swear by, I swear by myself declares the Lord, that because you've done this and have not withheld your son, your only son, I will surely bless you and make your descendants as numerous as the stars in the sky and the sand on the seashore. 
Your descendants will take possession of the cities of their enemies, and through your offspring, all nations on earth will be blessed because you've obeyed me. And God wanted Abraham to know when he said, I swear by myself, he wanted him to know that he would keep his promises. Later in Genesis 24, Abraham, anybody remember what Abraham's son was? Name? Isaac, that's right, good job. Uh, Isaac, and he wants Isaac to have a wife, and he, he wants Isaac to have a wife from his, his homeland, and he sends his servant there, but he says, I want you to go back and get a, a wife for Isaac, but I don't want you to take Isaac back there with you. you know, God's brought us to the new land, I don't want you to take him back there, but I want you to go there, and I want you to find a wife for him. Here's what we read in Genesis 24, beginning at verse 6. Make sure that you do not take my son back there, Abraham said. The Lord, the God of heaven, who brought me out of my father's household in my native land, and who spoke to me and promised me on oath, saying, to your offspring, I will give this land. He will send his angel before you so that you can get a wife for my son from there. If the woman is unwilling to come back with you, then you will be released from this oath of mine. Only do not take my son back there. (laughs) So the servant put his hand under the thigh of his master, a little weird, but that's what they did, right? And swore an oath to him concerning this matter, right? And so the primary purpose of oath was to seal an agreement. In the first century, oaths were extended to the marketplace and people took an oath when they exchanged property, when they sold animals and livestock or things like that. So oaths are very common and they find their biblical basis in the Old Testament. And listen, God had no problems with oath, but he had a problem with how the Pharisees and teachers of the law were actually using oaths to promote lying. Now, one passage that the religious elite twisted and taught others to do the same was Leviticus 19, verse 12, where God says, Do not swear falsely by my name, and so profane the name of the Lord your God. I am the Lord. And what God is saying, hey, if you invoke my name in an oath to give credibility to what you're saying, and if you're lying when you're doing that, you profane my name. Not a good idea. And here's the deal. When the people gathered on the hillside heard Jesus say, again, you've heard that it was said to the people long ago, do not break your oath, but keep the oath you have made to the Lord. Most of them would have nodded their in agreement. Hey, if I take an oath and I invoke God's name, I have to keep it. However, the Pharisees found a loophole. So they're going, hey, hey, if I can't speak falsely because I invoke the name of God, then maybe I should try a different strategy. Maybe I should not swear oath in God's name, but maybe I could substitute something in its place. Something that kind of seems like God, but really isn't God. And see, the people I convinced themselves with the help of the religious elite that as long as you don't actually swear by God's name, then what you promise isn't really binding. It's kind of like making a promise and you do this, right? I promise I'll do that and we have our fingers crossed around our back, right? I'm going to keep all the promises that I actually intend on keeping. And here's the deal. In the time of Christ, oath-taking became lie-making. And instead of promoting confidence, it promoted skepticism. Instead of being a mark of integrity, oaths became a sign of deceit. Yeah, as long as I swear by something less than God, it's okay to lie. It's okay not to keep my promises. And Jesus takes that attitude head on. He says, but I tell you, do not swear an oath at all. 
Note, in context, he's not talking about swearing an oath to seal an agreement. He's talking about these false oaths that they were taking. Jesus is okay with taking an oath. God took an oath. Jesus took an oath when he stood before the high priest. When the high priest said this, they're, they're, they're lying about Jesus, and Jesus is not saying a word. And the high priest says, by the living God, I place you under oath. Tell us if you are the Messiah. His reply, you said it. <laughs> you said it. But I tell you in the future, you'll see the Son of Man seated at the right hand of God and coming on the clouds of heaven. So it's not wrong to take an oath for a contract in court or to make vows in your, your wedding. But I tell you, you not swear at all. Either by heaven, for it's God's throne, or by earth, for it's his footstool, or by Jerusalem, for it is the city of the great king. But do not swear by your head, for you cannot make even one hair white or black. That's before the days of Salon, right? You know, you can't make your hair white or black. And what he's saying is God is everywhere, and God is in every conversation. And if you think you found some clever way of making lying okay and breaking a promise acceptable such that you do not face my judgment, God is saying you could not be more wrong. See, what they had done is, is they thought by making a promise other than God, they had put a fence around their promise and God couldn't get in. Yeah, I'm taking this promise under Jerusalem. I, I, I'm swearing by heaven. But they didn't realize that God's everywhere. We can be like that, right? Like, we compartmentalize God. Like, hey, I can act this way in regards to truth when I'm at church. But on my job, when I got to make that sale, uh, when I'm putting in the numbers for my expense account, well, that's a little bit different. I got a fence around that. God's not allowed in those conversations. And Jesus said, no, God's everywhere. God's everywhere. God's everywhere and God hears everything. Amen? You want to know how God feels about lying? When you and I break our promises? Just a few verses to bring you comfort this morning. (laughs) Psalm 101, verse 7. No one who practices deceit will dwell in my house. No one who speaks falsely will stand in my presence. What are worthless and wicked people like? They are constant liars. Signaling their deceit with a wink of the eye, (laughs) a nudge of the foot, yeah, I'm not really telling the truth, or a wiggle of their fingers. Proverbs 6, 16 through 19. There are six things the Lord hates. I'll tell you two of them. You can look at the others later. Six things the Lord hates, seven that are detestable to him. A lying tongue, hates it. A false witness who pours out lies. Someone who says false things about other people. Proverbs 12, 22, the Lord detests lying lips. But delights in people who are trustworthy. Proverbs 19, 5, a false witness will not go unpunished. And whoever pours out lies will not go free. In Isaiah 30, God paints a powerful picture of what happens when we are building our lives on lies. Check this out. Therefore, this is what the Holy One of Israel says. Because you've rejected this message, relied on oppression, and depended on deceit, this sin, now 
depending on the seat, will become for you like a high wall, cracked and bulging, that collapses suddenly in an instant. Listen, when we build our lives on lies, right, eventually our lies will be found out and everything in our life will come crashing down, God says. He says, it will break in pieces like pottery, shattered so mercilessly that among its pieces not a fragment will be found, not even a piece is found that you can go and grab some coals or scoop water out of from a cistern. Life matters to God. Acts chapter 5, Ananias and the fire, you can read it. If you know the story, they lied about the offering they gave. And Ananias died. His wife comes in and she drops dead. And it said, you've lied not to men, but to God. I remember, I'm sure Laurie remembers too, our son John, was time in his life, he had a little problem with lying. And we had him read that story about lying and people dropping dead, terrified him. <laughs> I'm such a good parent. I don't want to die, I don't want to die, I'm going to tell the truth, I'm going to tell the truth, I'm sorry, I'm sorry. Okay, just wanted you to know that I don't want you to drop dead, I kind of love you, son. <laughs> it worked, but I don't know. They didn't call family services on me. And then Revelation 21.8 says, The fate of all liars is a fiery lake of burning sulfur. So God's not fond of lying. Listen, in a world overflowing with lies and liars and broken promises, Jesus says those who live in his kingdom are the people of truth, people who do not need to swear or resort to an oath in order for people to believe what they say is true. Get it? Good. Jesus says, all you need to say is simply yes or no. Anything beyond this is from the evil one. Anything beyond this is carrying out the evil one's desires. Anything beyond this is speaking the language of the devil, the father of lies. His half-brother said the same thing, James, in James 5, 12. But above all, my brothers, do not swear either by heaven or earth or by any other oath, but let your yes be yes and your no be no so that you do not fall under condemnation. Just your yes is yes, your no is no. Your word is your bond. John Stott in his commentary on the Sermon on the Mount writes this. The modern application is not far to seek, for the teaching of Jesus is timeless. Swearing, oath-taking is really a pathetic confession of our own dishonesty. Why do we find it necessary to introduce our promises by some tremendous formula? I swear by the archangel Gabriel and all the hosts of heaven, or I swear by the Holy Bible. The only reason is that we know our simple word is not likely to be trusted. Interestingly, the Essenes, a Jewish sect contemporary with Jesus, had high standards in this manner. Josephus, the historian, wrote of them that they are eminent for fidelity and are ministers of peace. Listen to this. Whatsoever they say also is firmer than an oath, but, but swearing is avoided by them, and they esteem it worse than perjury. For they say that he who cannot be believed without swearing by God is already condemned. Or as A.M. Hunter puts it, oaths arise because men are so often liars. In a world overflowing with lies and liars, Jesus says that those who live in his kingdom are the people of truth. We do not need to swear oaths. People believe what we're saying is true. All you need to say is simply yes or no, 
anything beyond this comes from the evil one. We're almost done, but did you know that you being honest and being truthful is part of the armor of God that God wants you to wear so that you can take your stand against the evil one? Ephesians 6, finally be strong in the Lord and his mighty power. Put on the full armor of God so that you can take your stand against the devil's schemes. For struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. Therefore, put on the full armor of God so that, you can, so that when the day of evil comes, you'll be able to stand your ground. And after you have done everything, to stand. Stand firm then with the belt of truth buckled around your waist. What is the belt of truth? Well, it's not the word of God because he mentions the word of God in Ephesians 6 verse 17 when he talks about the sword of the spirit. What the belt of truth is, it is our honesty and our integrity. Now, now the belt of a Roman soldier, it's what's held the other parts of his armor together. If that belt would fail, then all his armor would fail and fall apart. In like manner, our honesty, our integrity, our truthfulness, it holds the rest of the armor together. And without honesty and integrity and truthfulness, everything falls apart. You see, it's hard to take our stand against the devil when we're carrying out his desires. It's hard to take a stand against the devil when we're speaking his native language. Get it? Amen. Okay, a few questions as we wrap up. You can rate yourself one to ten if, or yes or no. Do we have this question? Okay. Are you a person of honesty and truth? If 10 is absolutely, and you have less than 10, then you're not. <laughs> Welcome to Maple Grove. You're all liars! <laughs> Burning sulfur awaits all of you! No, <laughs> sorry. It's, it's, have you kind of put lying in the, oh, it's not that big of a deal category? Come on, it's just lying. Just lying. Not a big deal. Just exaggerating. The Lord detests lying lips. The one who lies will not stand in my presence. You know, you're like, that's not a big deal. I just lie sometimes. Can or do people trust that what you're saying is true? Well, if she said it, I know it's true. If he said he will do it, I know he's going to do it. His words is bond. If he says it's true, I know it's true. If he says he'll be there, he'll do that, I know he'll be there and do that because he or she is a person of their word. Is that how people feel when you say something, when you say something? Do you ever have to add some kind of oath to get people to believe you? I'm telling you the truth. Usually people say it like that, they're probably lying, right? I swear to God. Can you be trusted to keep your promises? People go like, oh, I know it. I know they, like when you tell people I'll pray for you do, you, do you pray for them? Are there any promises you need to follow through with that you made that you're like, you know what, I, I, need, to, I need to follow through with this promise? Have you kept your promises to God? If you're a Christ follower, you know you made promises when you came to God? You made promises that he would be the Lord of your life? You made promises that you would die to yourself and live for him. You made promises that you would put his kingdom first. 
before all your needs. You made promises to God that you would live by his word. Here's some homework for this week, maybe to help us become a, a truthful person. It's in your notes too. Um, you know, search for cracks. Spend some time this week looking at major areas of your life, work, home, church, friends, social media, and identify any area, any area that you may have a truth issue with. Search for cracks. Look for patterns. Is there a certain area where you have a weakness? Are there certain situations or certain people, certain places where you struggle with the truth? Face the music. Face your flaws. Admit your mistakes. Apologize to those you've hurt. Stop running from the truth. Learn, adjust, and move forward. Rebuild. See, it's one thing to face up to our past actions. It's another to build a new future. Now, we create a plan. Ask God to help. God, help me to be a more truthful person. God, sometimes I find myself lying when there's actually no reason to lie. (laughs) Help me be a person that when I say something, people believe what I say. When I tell people I'm going to be there, I'm going to do that, that they know they can count on me. Help me to be a person of my word. Amen? Don't don't you think, wouldn't that make everything better, relationships better, church better, the world better if we were just truthful and got better at it? And we all admitted we're liars, right? You know, so we all have some work to do. And I'll tell you what, it's better if I try to work on me rather than work on you and vice versa, right? You don't need to go home and work on your kids, work on your spouse. Man, he's such a liar. I'm so glad I'm going to have someone listen to sermon because they're such a liar. No. You know, what do you need to do to be a more truthful person? What do I need to do? And just one final thing as we get ready to sing our closing song. Um, 2 Corinthians 1, 18 through 20. But as surely as God is faithful, our message to you is not yes and no. The Son of God, Jesus Christ, who was preached among you by us, was not yes and no, but in him it has always been Yes. For no, matter how many, for no matter how many promises God has made, they are yes in Christ. And so through him, the amen is spoken by us to the glory of God. Brothers and sisters, God is truthful. God is trustworthy. God keeps his promises. We really have been born again into a living hope. We really do have an inheritance that cannot fade, spoil, or pass away, that's kept in heaven for you. You have that inheritance. You know, yesterday, someone in Illinois had a good day as they found out that they had the winning ticket for $1.3 billion, all right? That's a lot of money. Uh, And I was thinking about inheritance when I said that, hoping I was related to them. No, uh, maybe I am. Please, Lord. But seriously, I was thinking about inheritance and that we have, and we don't have it yet, but if I woke up that morning and I had that ticket, even though I hadn't had a dollar hit my bank account, I'd be a little happy. I'd be like, hey, okay, so the, our tub fell through our ceiling. I don't care. I don't care. You know, because I know it's coming. 
And God's trustworthy. What he says is true. One day there will be a new heaven and earth, right? And one day we will live in a perfect world. That's not this world. This world's full of trouble. One day we will live in a perfect world. No more heartache. No more pain. No more death. No more dying. No more disease. No more divorce. No more pain, sorrow, no more tears. And that will last forever. We can trust God to bring that about, right? Because our God is trustworthy. And we can also trust that God will help us become the people that he wants us to be. We can trust the truth that God has plans for us, not to hurt us, but to give us a hope in the future. We can trust that we are God's masterpiece and he's created us anew to do good deeds he planned in advance for us to do. We can trust his word that we are forgiving in Christ. Amen? So would you guys stand and pray with me? Heavenly Father, we come to you and but Jesus doesn't play when he speaks and he comes out strong, Lord, and wants us to be people that tell the truth because he tells the truth. And God, I pray, I pray that your Holy Spirit will move in us and and God, that we will strive to be people of honesty, integrity, and truthfulness. That we'll be people, God, who when we make a promise, we keep it. When we say we'll do something, we'll do it. People that, people can trust what we say. God, forgive us for our failures and our shortcomings. God, thank you for the hope we have. Thank you for the Holy Spirit that can enable us to to live in a different way. God, help truth to reign in our our marriages, in our homes, in our families, in in our businesses, in this church, in our relationships. And God, thank you that you're a God who loves to come alongside broken people. And make them into something incredible. A vessel for you and for your glory. In Jesus' name, amen.